Hey everybody, welcome to Lando Lakers Live. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky coming to you Sunday night, Andy, and after a 10-year... October 11, 2020, a date that will be remembered forever. Forever! Um, Forever! The Lakers, 106-93 in a game that, as they say, was not that close. They win Game 6 of the NBA Finals tonight. uh, 4-2, the series final over Miami. The Lakers are again NBA champions uh, there are people celebrating outside Staples Center. There are people shooting fireworks off in my neighborhood and neighborhoods throughout the city. Um, there is a lot going on out there. People are very excited. And uh, I mean, I haven't read the columns yet, but I, you know, I've seen Molly Knight tweet about it and other people. And you know, this is a this is a night that brings a little bit of happiness in what has been a very difficult year, not just for basketball fans in LA, but just for people. Um, yeah. So a, a, a fun and exciting and uh, well-earned night for the Lakers, no question. And for Laker fans and, you know, and for Los Angeles, because this is a massive Laker town and even casual fans get really excited by success at this level for the Lakers. And I think in particular this year, if you're in L.A. and you're like most people, you're stuck at home your kids are stuck at home because they can't go into school. Like there's so much that you can't do this year as an Angelino. And there are worse places in the world to deal with this. We got a lot of parks, the weather's good, blah, 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 but it's been shitty and there is no way around it. This is something that feels really great. I am by the way, fully partisan tonight. I am partisan in my Lakers shirt. I am celebrating with some Sincoro, I have the uh, official tequila. I, well, I guess it's not the official tequila of the Lakers. No, it is, however. Tequila. Well, it, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for people unaware, that is the damn thing. Yes, that it is partly owned by um, Jeannie Buss, among other NBA owners. It is fantastic. And both of us, we will toast the Lakers on this cheers, night. Virtual cheers, Andy. Virtual Wait, you cheers. Go, okay, you go this way. I'll go this way. Let's see if we can do this. Think, <laughs> think close enough. No, close enough. So, um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the game. There's a lot we want to get into tonight. Obviously, we want to remind you uh, as well that this show, like all shows, brought to you by uh, Delicious Pizza, twenty percent off when you use the password Cam Brothers. Two locations: Hollywood and West Adams. Uh, I don't know. Text, you know, DM Mike Ross. You know, he's. I'm sure feeling real saucy tonight. Real exciting. I don't know. If you have to <laughs> Who knows? He might throw something extra in for you. I have no idea. That's not me saying, but I'm just saying the guy's in a good mood is all I'm saying. Yes, he um, is. And, and they're open. Some delicious pizza, two locations. They're open right now. Sent you. Um, so this, you know, after we talked about it Friday after the game, there was some uh, some concern, I guess, maybe just because you leave, you, know, you, leave, you left the door open for Miami. Something could happen. Goran Dragic could come back, which he did tonight. Um, whatever it might be, the Lakers left no doubt in game six. They came out, um, they they got out early, despite necessarily shooting particularly well. They, they were very good defensively, very early, and set a tone to the point where it just became clear that Miami was going to have a lot of trouble getting enough buckets to win this game. The defense that they were playing in the first half of this game is some of the best defense. Forget that I've seen the Lakers play. It's some of the best defense I've seen any team play in quite some time. I mean, just the rotations were so crisp and aggressive and the relentless, really. I mean, the, the, the defensive energy that they had from the outset of this game was so relentless, it frankly overwhelmed Miami. Like between the defensive relentlessness and the physicality that the Lakers played with, mm-hmm. I mean, by, by the third quarter, they were ragdolling Miami. Like, in, yeah. in that says something. What was it, they, how big did the lead get? It was 30, 30 something. something at one point. They're, yeah. I mean, and, and they were also just, they were pushing that team around. And, and Miami, despite having a size disadvantage to the Lakers, they're a they're not a soft team. Like they're not a finesse team. Oh God, no. No, they're they're a team that 
you know, they will try to play with physicality and toughness themselves. And the Lakers just established this tone from the beginning of it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen tonight. No. And, you know, all the mistakes that they made in game five, the way they let uh, Miami stay in the game, the way they, they the defense was, you know, Pete Zayas, you know, Laker film room did, you know, exhaustive work over the weekend, laying out mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake that they made. And Miami repeatedly made them pay to their credit. Um, they didn't do that tonight. And, you know, Miami having left a lot on the floor in game five, just to get to this point, I think Miami didn't quite have the juice. Jimmy Butler didn't have, you know, the legs that he had the other night to kind of keep this up. Um, they couldn't respond. And, you know, it's very clear that they wanted and were going to make sure that there would be no game seven. Like, you know, uh, LeBron James, 28 points, 13 of 20, 14 rebounds, 10 assists, another triple-double for LeBron. Um, he was named Finals MVP, which I think was exactly the right choice, and yep. which we can talk about in a little bit if, if there's even really a lot of conversation to have about it. It was, it was – they were locked in in a way that – they weren't in game five. Um, they got performances that they didn't get in game five, a much more efficient performance from KCP, a much more efficient performance from Rajon Rondo, who was great in the first half, finished with 19 points. I think he missed one shot in the first half, Andy. Um, you know, Danny Green hit three of seven three-pointers, like, you know, a couple of those coming early. Like th They just, a, a lot of that stuff that didn't happen in game five happened in game six along with suffocating defense. Yeah, they were just – I tweeted out during the game at Cam Brothers, LeBron wants to win a fourth championship almost as bad as he wants to get the F out of this bubble. Damn right. And you could just see that they were all – but it really, I think, began with LeBron, who in particular in transition offensively was just nonstop. He was just coming in waves at them – running every yes. single time he had the opportunity. And and this was, I mean, LeBron is traditionally pretty damn impossible to stop in transition, but this was a night where you could really see like just this determination of you will not slow me once I start running. No. You are not going to prevent me from getting to the basket. You are not going to prevent me from getting an and one, period. Because I, I know I've talked a lot during the course of the season I've been concerned at times with LeBron around the rim. And there, there had been this period where he was missing some stuff point blank that he typically doesn't. But tonight, it was just like, clear the fuck out of my way. Just yep. get out I mean, of my yeah. way. This is done. There would be no game seven. There's, you know, in LeBron's record, we talked about it, you know, a couple nights ago. LeBron's record in closeout games is incredibly impressive. I think they were all collectively disappointed with what happened in game five. And, you know, I, to me, what this does is it really puts a punctuation point on what, what this season was. Like the Lakers went through a Western Conference and essentially ran away with it. They ran away with the regular season in a Western Conference that was supposed to be very difficult. And granted, the Clippers, maybe the Clippers, if they put the, the pedal down all season long, like the Lakers did in ways that we didn't expect. I mean, I think that was, I think you would agree, Andy. I, don't, I didn't think they would try as hard as they did to win every game as they did in the regular season. No, it was actually, uh, the, the you and I both thought that they would finish this season around the four seed just specifically for that reason. We both thought they would get to oh, it two, minimum. Three, four, whatever it is, because they didn't care. They didn't care right. about it. Or, or just that it wouldn't it wouldn't be at least – it didn't feel necessary right, heading exactly. into the season. It, like We both thought that they would reach at minimum the Western Conference Finals. Correct. So it's not like we thought that they weren't going to have a good season. We just thought, given the collective age of this team and the collective experience, that they would look to pace themselves in the way that we saw the Clippers do all season. And from minute one – this has been, I mean, it's been the most laser-focused Laker team that you and I have ever covered, other than maybe the 2009 team, the one that came back yeah. from just getting their asses handed to them in 2008 by the Celtics. The main difference being this group was just less intense to be around, but they were incredibly focused. And so, I mean, so they run through the Western Conference and they, they, you know, they give themselves this giant cushion to deal with, which turned out to be 
uh, instead of something that they they get to use down the stretch of a normal regular season, it becomes sort of not having to stress themselves during these bubble seeding games, whatever it is. And then they roll through, I mean, 16 and five in the playoffs. I don't care who they played. I don't care if you think those teams were overrated, underrated. You lose five games in route to a title. That is a dominating performance. And they're all, they're always going to be little pivot points where if they go the other way, something, you know, something changes. If AD doesn't hit the three pointer, you know, they're close games, but they did, they did win those games. They did hit those shots and they went 16 and five. And what I think is, is fascinating about it is in hindsight, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you know, playoff Rondo, Frank Vogel, you know, good coach. I mean, all these, whatever it might be, this defense that really showed itself to be completely legitimate over the course of the regular season. It can look obvious in hindsight, but it wasn't. And it, you know, for, I know Laker fans wanted to feel like their team was disrespected, but they weren't. And the, the amount of uncertainty that really was there legitimately, not, and I was like, the Lakers are going to make the playoffs kind of way, but they're one of a group of three or four or five teams with a real shot at it. Um, but not necessarily like the overwhelming favorite. Like that's what it really was as recently as when the playoffs started. Well, also too, I mean, you want to feel like they weren't disrespecting in the sense that they had to work for it because if they have to work for it, that means it's better. Like the, if, if you're saying that they were so disrespected, they were so much better than everybody else then that having any type of doubt whatsoever that they wouldn't steamroll through this entire thing, then what you're saying is in some ways the accomplishment wasn't as impressive because everybody else was so much further behind them. And beyond the fact that I don't actually think that's true, it's actually doing a disservice to the Lakers themselves. Like I think it's actually doing a disservice to everything that they accomplished this season and everything in particular they accomplished through the context of this season, beginning with the turbulence that happened in the preseason in China, where basically they had no real opportunity to to accomplish much of anything, to Kobe's death, to the pandemic and the stoppage, and then going to the bubble, which was really difficult. I feel Mm -hmm. like you discount everything this team went through this year by getting your chest puffed up about the idea that you want people to think that they were so incredibly dominant why wouldn't this happen? I, I, I go back and, and you know, I Jeannie Bus, and I don't, I do not blame her in the slightest for this. But you know, it was, I think, the interview with Sam Amick um, of the Athletic, where you know she did a little bit of a victory lap and kind of a mic drop on this season, like you know, we didn't do the press releases and we did, and there, there is some you know revisionism in there, and there's some yeah, I'm not, yeah, but like. You go back to where they were a year ago or the offseason. How long? I don't even know. How long ago was the offseason? Okay. I don't even know. You want to hear? Let me put this in perspective. Um, And and this came to mind when I saw Rachel Nichols interviewing LeBron after the game. And she mentioned that, you know, LeBron, who is now with his fourth championship, uh, fourth finals MVP, he's the only person in history to ever have three finals MVP with three different teams that he's going to be 36 in a couple months. And it dawned yeah, on me. You're just, right. You're right. Whole, it's, it's right around Christmas, right? Yes. Yes. His birthday's in December. I don't remember the exact day, but it dawned on me, Brian, that it was like, holy shit, this season, when it began LeBron, like, you know, kind of the off season, when everything got started, LeBron was 34. He's almost 36 now. Like that's how long this damn long thing old. has been going. I remember Bill. Like, it's Orman, insane. Bill Orman asked LeBron that question. It's like the one-year anniversary of training camp starting it was either at the end of the conference finals or the beginning of the, of the finals. Like that is insane. That is just an insane number. But like you go back to where they were, and you know Frank Vogel was amazing this year. He he deserves so much credit, and so much of what they were able to do inside the bubble is due to what. Vogel did throughout the season this, um, you know, the, the chemistry that they developed, the trust that they, that they developed, the ability to move Alex Caruso into the starting lineup and out of it, you know, Markeith Morris in and out, start a different guy in the second half, in the first half, sit JaVale McGee essentially for the entire finals, whatever it might be. All of that comes from the stuff that they built up over the course of the season. And Vogel deserves a tremendous amount of credit. He was still their third choice. 
yeah. at least. There might have been lower. I don't know. But at, at, at least, sort of publicly, he was their third choice. And it well, I mean, was... Jeannie, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Jeannie acknowledged in the interview that she did with Sam Amick, which, uh, and I've also heard her talk about this with uh, Howard Beck. Both of these are really good interviews that people should seek out. Absolutely. But, you know, she acknowledged they, we know they interviewed Ty Lue, but it's the first time I think I've ever heard it be acknowledged that they talked to Monty Williams. Like these were yeah. both before they Which went. We to knew that they did, but they never talked about it. Right. So, I mean, like you said, by definition, Vogel was their third choice at highest. Right. And that's, that doesn't include maybe somebody else that they would have like, hey, what about this guy where you do the back channeling thing with the agent and whatever it might be. And then or if the optics might, if the optics hadn't been bad on Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd, sure. Um, like he, that wasn't done in the way that they wanted. You know, like the, 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 some of the roster construction. And, so, and I'm not going back and saying like they screwed up by waiting on Kawhi or anything like that. But, you know, they put some pieces together that some worked really well and some didn't work. I thought under the, I said it then, I say it now, under the circumstances, I think they did a really good job. But the idea that people could look at the roster and say, they're going to have some issues potentially is, is not fiction. You go roll roll through the season, you get to the bubble when the playoff and playoffs are different than the regular season. And the way they played going into it with the shooting problems and the questions of the supporting cast and Anthony Davis not looking like a guy who was ready to become a potential finals MVP, which they needed him to be. I'm not saying I thought AD was going to suck, but you look at it and go, okay, he's been great in the playoffs before, but this is a different thing. Expectations are higher. Can he do what needs to be done? It wasn't preordained that the answer to that question would be yes on the kind of consistent, dominant basis that they needed to. Because you saw they struggled when either of their stars wasn't really good, like really, really good. Um, like I, That to me is what makes this season so fascinating and so interesting is that it isn't obvious. 2009 for the Lakers, for example, you brought up that team. That felt a lot more obvious. Like it was going to be hard for anybody to beat that team. I know well, there was also there was more of a template with that team too. Right. I mean, we knew that that team was by definition a finals worthy team, a championship caliber team, because we had just seen them in the finals and they were running it all back healthier with Andrew Bynum healthy, right. with Trevor Ariza yep. available. So I mean, you you knew that that team and angry was, and yes, angry and really angry and you know guys like Kobe and Fisher and you know Lamar and uh, to a lesser degree Powell like they had played together longer like th there was more to judge all of this on in the first place and who's to say that if you know you get, we we never got the LeBron versus Kobe final that everybody expected that everybody wanted who knows what it, it's a different series whatever it is but they stomped Orlando. Like that was that was not a close series. Um, closer maybe than people remember in terms of game to game, but again, not a not a particularly close series. And so, you know, like you said, that there was a template for that, and there wasn't for this. And um, I, I just I, I I think you know obviously anybody who's saying that the Lakers didn't get respect is way off. They did. Um, anybody who's saying that the Lakers were, you know, you know, just trashed on it's they obviously were picked as a favorite, but they really exceeded, even with that, even with LeBron and A, they really, I think, exceeded expectations in ways that like even if they'd won a title in a closer conference and you know, a seven-game series along the way and a six-game series along the way, they still could have won a title and not performed this way in ways that are so impressive en route to a title. Well, I think it's also just because, they, I mean, there were, there were some holdovers from last year's team, but there were also enough guys that weren't there that you just, you didn't know exactly how it was going to look, even if you had a pretty good idea that the, that the potential was there. And both of us from the beginning believed that the potential to win a championship was obviously there. I mean, if your starting point is LeBron and Anthony Davis, particularly once it became clear from minute one that, Lebr that LeBron was dialed in and really invested in this season, then it's obvious. I mean, it's obvious that that's going to be the case. But you just don't know to that point. And 
You know, it's funny. You said before that, you know, there was a little bit of luck involved. And for example, being able to get Danny Green, the only reason they were able to get Danny Green is because Danny was waiting for Kawhi to make his decision. And had Danny not been specifically connected to Kawhi, the Lakers wouldn't have been able to wait for Kawhi while still getting Danny. And then, you know, there are happy accidents like Dwight only being on this roster because unfortunately, DeMarcus Cousins ends up getting hurt. Right. But, but, and this is where, you know, as the saying goes, you make your own luck. The Lakers were the only team in the league, not only that took a chance on Dwight, on Dwight Howard, but to the best of my knowledge, was even considering taking a chance on it. Yeah, I don't know who they were competing with. It was funny because I, I wrote about it and, you know, six years ago. I wrote about it and I was like, when Dwight was out there, Boogie gets hurt, Dwight's out there. It's basically Dwight Howard, Joakim Noah, and like Mari Spates. Like these are the names and it seems ludicrous in hindsight that you would even like, why was this a discussion? Of course you go sign Dwight. Um you know, and, and whatever it is, but like what's what I think is so funny about it is like he nobody wanted the guy because he was toxic, not because he was a good, not what because he wasn't good. He was by far the most talented player available to do the job that the Lakers needed. But it wasn't just that he was the most unpopular player in the league among fans, and he probably was, he was probably the most unpopular player in the league among his peers, too. And, you know, it, it, it seems silly in hindsight, given how he played, but I was actually one of the only people like, I think from a basketball standpoint, it'd be fine. And, and like, it's last chance saloon. It's all these other things. There's, there are a thousand reasons why it should work and only one why it wouldn't. And it was just because people were just pretty sure Dwight was going to Dwight it up. And he didn't. He, he said in training camp, I am going to have to show people and not tell people. And he showed all season long and never got weird about it. And congratulations to him. He's an NBA champion. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys on this team that you really feel happy for. Like you feel happy for Dwight because if nothing else, this stupid, this stupid resurgent online debate about whether or not Dwight is a hall of famer, which oh, is, God. yeah, yeah, it's That's stupid, but. Now, if there was any doubt, and there shouldn't have been because he was a, frankly, a first ballot Hall of Famer, but if there was any doubt, it's over now. Like his credentials in his prime plus a ring, he's done. I mean, he's in. But you also, you're happy for KCP and all the shit that he took in the beginning of this season. Those first two games were brutal. And the treat, because both those games were at Staples Center, and the treatment that he was getting at Staples was ugly. And it got to him. I mean, he said that he did things like praying to help himself get through it. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, having covered KCP a couple of years, his swings could be maddening. But by definition, anybody who plays as hard as he does every second he's on the floor, he cares. He oh, always yeah. cared. So seeing him end up having quite possibly the best season of his career, certainly the most, I think, consistent season that he's ever had and that actually mattered, you know, that you're happy for Alex Caruso. Like, you know, you're, you're happy for all these different, there are a lot of guys on this team who have reasons that you can be happy for them, you know, for, for what this accomplishment means in terms of just their overall resume and their overall perception. And it's really cool because we've talked about a lot over the course of this season. This has been a, it's yeah, been an enjoyable team yeah. to cover. Yeah, very enjoyable. And like if for all of I, I know people want to love, love hating the Lakers. And I get it. It's 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 I, I completely get it. Uh, um, this from the Nathan Mark. Uh, I'll finish this thought, but like I know people love hating the Lakers. It's hard to hate this team. It really is. I mean, Anthony Davis is a great story. LeBron playing the way he did at 35 is an amazing story. Um, you talked about Dwight, people like redemption, KCP, Alex, Alex Caruso, like really Alex Caruso. Um, and I mean, it just, Frank Vogel's a great story. You know, Jeannie is a great story. Like, it is, and they, and they didn't, there was no drama. They kept, they, they really did keep their heads down and just do the work all season long. Um, this from the Nathan Mark for people who listen to our podcast, um, 
uh, the uh, we, Andy and I would play a game called the statue game where every Laker gets a statue, no, and we just decide where to put it. If you're really good, the, you know, you're in the size of it, the size of it, the better you are, the closer it is to Staples Center, uh, the worse you are. It gets further away. It might be small. It might be if you're Roy Hibbert. Uh, my Roy Hibbert statue, for example, Andy, was uh, on the ground where people could trip over it because Roy spent more time on the ground than any Lakers center in, in history. Uh, um, Anthony Davis might want to have a word. That's true, but not in the way that Slow Roy did. Not yeah. in the way that Slow Roy did. Um, Nathan Mark can't remember if you guys already have given Dwight's statue, but it'll have to be moved. And that's true. I don't remember what we did with Dwight. Do you? But whatever no. it was, it was not nearly as flattering as it would need to be now. No, I, I don't remember if we even gave Dwight a statue, but you are correct that if Dwight has a statue, there would be a remodeling necessary. Yeah, it's got a remodeling it, and a relocation. A more shade in the Dwight Howard statue than should if, be there now. Yes, um, if it existed. If it existed. Uh, so... But this was a remarkably likable team, which is, is I think, hard for non-Lakers fans to sort of accept. Um, this, was not, this was not a crew that you just go out and hate. Um, Although I think this year, I sensed that this year that if even if you're not a Laker fan and even typically you would root against this team, and I, and I get it. Like, I totally get it. I, I dislike the Yankees for a lot of the same reasons that people dislike the Lakers. So I get it. I totally understand where it's coming from. But when you look at everything that this franchise has been through this year and the death of Kobe, which very obviously rocked the entire NBA landscape. Yes. I mean, they, everything connected to the NBA and really sports and, frankly, worldwide was was rocked by Kobe's death. Like, it... it I hadn't seen anything like that for somebody that wasn't like a political figure, probably since Prince, like where really you just saw this worldwide reaction of sadness and stunned and just people openly emotional about it. And the Lakers wearing their hearts on their sleeves the way they did in terms of openly wanting to win this championship to pay tribute to Kobe, to pay tribute to Gianna Bryant, to make sure that their legacy was continued, you know, this season, which, you know, it's 10 years. It was funny, Brian. It hit me either yesterday or today. There's been a lot of talk about it being 10 years since Kobe won his last championship, you know, mm -hmm. the 2010 against Boston. But it hit me today that it's actually 20 years since Kobe won his first against Indiana. And that was actually a six-game series as well. And, you know, that's Kobe's first coming full circle to LeBron's first. Like if, if you're like AD's first overall, like there is a yeah. lot of that kind of open and closing kind of thing. Yeah. And it, and if I, I know that a lot of Laker fans have enjoyed and I would even think maybe even found some comfort in that kind of synergy and, and symmetry. And if if that's something that, you know, you enjoy, I, I thought it was worth noting, but it, yeah, but I think that's part of the reason why there's been a lot of goodwill towards this particular Laker team and this particular championship run that might not be there otherwise. Yeah, I, but I think I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, there's no question. But I just I also think it is the fact that they this there wasn't you know the streetlights versus spotlights thing for as much as you know the Clippers leaned into that. Um, the, the Lakers were the streetlight team. Like, you know, that's, yeah. it, it seems silly to say, but like, you know, I, I, I just look at this. And one of the things that I think is great about it is we got to really understand like the Lake, Lakers have had I, I, all of the good players, like all of them. You know, you go back in history and the amount of just incredibly talented people who have played for this franchise is staggering. The number of people who can't get their jersey retired um, for this franchise because they're not in the freaking Hall of Fame. Like, that's the standard. You have to be a Hall of Famer to get your jersey retired or they wouldn't have enough numbers left. Um, LeBron James just finished the finals where he went 29.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, 8.5 assists. He shot almost 59% from the field and 39% from three. <laughs> Get Probably. the fuck out with that. 
It's probably very top loaded. I don't care how old you are when you do that. That you then now, if you want to add the age thing in, it gets even better. Like he he finished one assist and uh, shy of a re, of a triple double in game one, a rebound and assist shy of a triple double in game two, uh, two assists shy in game three, two assists shy in game four, three assists assists shy. It's hard to do, not go blue when you're saying assists that many times. It's okay. We're independent now. You can do it. Maybe I guess you should have passed more or something, but like, true. A like that, really good numbers. And then we got to watch it. Like, we got to really understand and appreciate exactly what playoff LeBron is and how good that guy is. Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's spectacular. Especially to even I mean, in the just... city that he has seen. Oh, froze on um, me for a second. Yeah, I was going to say back. you're uh, you're there glitching you out a bit. You were glitching um, out just, me. Um, I'll ask the people who was glitching. Know. I'll ask. But anyway, go on. Yeah, I mean, just I'll, I, you, saw, you saw over the please. course. You saw over the like course me. of this. Damn, yeah, it is you. I promise you, it's you. Um, you saw just over the course of this series. What happens when LeBron is truly locked into a game and truly locked into a series and just completely devoted to the idea? <laughs> the kid from uh, NYC says LeBron going, uh, Brian going on a rant, then disappeared into the matrix. That is kind of what happened. And he kept insisting that I was the one disappearing, yeah. as B Pax uh, noted, as an Anthony. No, I'm just saying you were just, you were glitchy on my It's an Anthony Irwin Wi-Fi status. Uh, you just go with your Ethernet, Brian. Don't don't ever go without the Ethernet. I think it's been established that for whatever reason. Ethernet, well, then use a better Ethernet. I am on the Ethernet. You, you use the one made in America. Don't don't outsource your Ethernet cable. Use the real one. Use use the I'm one with American Ethernet. gumption. Stealing Ethernet from Kazakhstan. Good, whatever. Just steal, just steal it from somewhere with <laughs> someone asking if we can get a Wi-Fi sponsor. That wouldn't be the worst idea. Might awesome. kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. But you just you see what LeBron is capable of when he really recognizes this is this is a rare opportunity in front of me. I this is an opportunity to do something that I might disappear Right, that matters to me. And I'm gonna make sure it happens. And there there are very few people. In, there are very few players in the NBA who have the type of ability to do that. I mean, what we saw from Jimmy Butler doing it twice over six games, the type of masterful control that Jimmy Butler had in those two Miami wins is unbelievable. I mean, J Jimmy played well enough that I think you could have at least made an argument for him as most valuable player in the most literal sense, even on the losing side of this. You know, I'm not saying it's what should have happened. I'm just saying you could have actually, you yeah, could have you actually made the totally argument. Totally the argument, but the control that LeBron has over games is unlike. It's unlike just about any player I've ever seen, because even somebody like say Chris Paul or Steve Nash, who you know were masterful with their control over the game, they don't have the type of size that LeBron has. Like they they don't have the ability to impose whatever the hell they want over the course of a game the way LeBron does. I mean, like LeBron's, LeBron does this in ways that we probably have not seen since Magic. But there are certain things athletically even that LeBron does that Magic doesn't. You know, Ma Magic was not an above-the-rim type of player. You know, LeBron is. You know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Think I fixed it, uh, Brian says. So far, I'm not sure. I don't actually know. Speak. Uh, well, no, now it's reloading. Hold on a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm having trouble counting. Brian, the Nathan router. Mark says, Brian looks like he's using a camera from the last Laker title run, too. It does look that I brought way. mine from Minnesota, thank you. <laughs> um, and it's just, I mean, obviously the debates over LeBron's legacy and all that stuff, I mean, it's just going to continue. And some of that's just... The culture that we live in, the sports media culture that we live in, there it's 24-7. There are so many damn hours to fill. 
And LeBron will talking about LeBron, similar to how in LA talking about Kobe will always get people to watch and to listen. And people who've listened to our podcast long enough know that neither one of us really gives a shit about the whole goat conversation. Like, as long as you're not picking somebody who just is a stupid idea, I don't care. Like, I, I'm more interested in I'm more interested in talking about why people are great than trying to figure out who was actually better than. I mean, it just it's in a lot of ways, hair. it's an exercise in splitting hairs. But LeBron's career to this point, whether you think Jordan is better, whether you're somebody who thinks Kareem is better, whatever, LeBron may end up having, when it's all said and done, the most unique career in NBA history, like the most singular, and you know maybe in all sports. And by the way, that's something that I used to say about Kobe all the time, that the uniqueness of Kobe's career is something that went, I think, very underappreciated. In part because everybody was too because everybody busy. was always trying to compare him to Jordan, right? Everybody was so busy trying to figure out why he wasn't Jordan that you actually were missing a lot of what was in front of you. And I actually, the my favorite piece that I ever wrote about Kobe was after the 2010 championship. I'll see if I can find it. And I'll put it in the uh, chat room. But just about how we were spending so much time dissecting Kobe's career that it felt like the royal we were actually missing it. Yeah. And I think there's a danger of that happening as much as everybody appreciates LeBron. If you get caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter, you could end up missing the things that actually do. It's be in what what I think is so stupid about all these things is like and I think the point you're making is a really important one because like let's just pretend, like let's pretend that like Jordan is so far ahead in the conversation. I don't think he is, but let's just for fine, whatever. So you don't Jordan's not Jordan. When was the last time Jordan played a game? Like when did he retire? 2004, 2003, like whatever it is. So you're talking, you know, 16 years, 17 years. So because you're very concerned about Michael Jordan or whatever it is, and 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 LeBron James is the okay. We'll just call him the second best player that's ever played. You know, or the third, if you think Kareem is number two, whatever it is, Kareem hasn't played in 25 years, 30 years. Like you're gonna miss and not appreciate this because you're only watching the second best player that ever played, like ever. Like, why why on earth would I mean, nobody would say I'm not gonna appreciate, you know, uh I'm trying to think of a quarterback. Nobody. Well, I was going to say Joe Montana might be better. Whatever it might be, like, why? Why would you do that as a sports fan? Why? And it's it's our fault. And I don't mean literally our fault. I mean the we've actually been fighting against this. Like, it's literally not our fault. You are in my fault, Brian. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we've done over the years that I look back and go, I'd do that differently. Right, but it's also because fans tolerate it. It's like you know, we just we sort of all bought into this sort of collective hot take sports culture. And the, the, the downside of it, it can be fun. Like, I'm not saying you can't have the bar arguments and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. But it's like, at some point, you have to stop and be like, wow, this guy. Like, I, I'm just going to enjoy this guy and what he is. And like, okay, if he's second, third, fourth, I don't care. Like, you know how many people played basketball in the NBA since it started? Like, more than four. <laughs> Let, let's not get bogged down here. You know, focus, focus people. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited too for, and I, I think a couple of people asked LeBron this after the game, like, um, you know, you kind of looked at AD winning his first title. Did that kind of bring that back to you? And then what, what can that do for you as a player? Um, and LeBron said, yeah, you know, it did kind of remind me of what it was to win my first one and talked about the confidence that it gives you as a player to go win. And like Anthony Davis is an NBA champion and used this finals to vault himself right and truly into the very tiny sliver of the most elite players in the NBA. And there's no reason to think that he still can't get better. So if LeBron descends <laughs> apparently very, very slowly from his spot as still arguably the best player in the game, and you have an ascending Anthony Davis... There is no reason that Davis can't go and win another couple, two or three or something, whatever it is as a Laker. He's still plenty young enough to do it. Uh, the Lakers obviously are going to give him all the support they possibly can, and he's got LeBron James for at least two more years. Like This is a team that isn't going anywhere. 
What I think is really interesting is is that Anthony Davis actually is heading into this season, this upcoming one, where there's going to be talk about him potentially being the best player in the league. And there's going to be talk about him as an MVP candidate because, I mean, as we know, a lot of this gets started through narratives. And that's a narrative that I guarantee will be there for Anthony Davis between him having a title, between how well he played this season and then especially in the postseason – and also, too, if LeBron needs to, and it, I guess, remains to be seen if he does, but if he does, we've seen that he can dial it back some in order to pace himself for the upcoming playoffs. And not only, I think, is AD capable of something like, you know, being the focal point of the team, being, you know, the the guy that you look at and say, okay, he's, he's unquestionably the engine. I yep. actually think it would be good for him. I think it would be oh, sure. great for his development. And it's not like LeBron's going to become just some guy along from the ride. He's still going to be really critical to how it all operates. And but always, would, I think, functionally and sort of certainly a leadership role. There's still some stuff for AD to learn in that regard. He's not a vocal guy and all that, but he's he's gotten more so. Yep, absolutely. But like you said, he's not all the way there. Uh, it, yeah, I mean... and. I, I look at next year and it's easy to forget, you know, first and foremost, you know, the Clippers in theory come back a little bit better, different, I think, but at least certainly as an organization, hyper motivated because if that goes really south again tomorrow, that franchise could be fucked. <laughs> like for like, a <laughs> yes, it I mean, just, and I'm not, I, I, I realize, you know, I know who we're talking to tonight. I am not an anti Clippers guy. I think it's, I, I want that team to be, it's fun for the city. For the Clippers to be good. It is better for the city for the Clippers to be good and have this great rivalry between the Lakers and Clippers and get two or three or four Western Conference finals between that. Like, how awesome would that be? Like, I want that because I love basketball and I love basketball in this city. Um, the Clippers are going to be good again next year. Let's just assume so. Um, oh, by the way, Golden State's coming back healthy with either other players or a very high draft pick and all this like. They're not necessarily going anywhere. They ought to be really good next year. Uh, Utah is ascending. I think you know they played this playoffs without Boyan Bogdanovich, which is a big deal. Um, and you know, so they get him back with Donovan Mitchell doing what he did. Denver should get a little bit better. I mean, the only team that you look at in the Western Conference and say that team is stuck and probably goes backwards is Houston. But Dallas is going to get better. New Orleans is going to get better. Um, Phoenix. You know, Phoenix, if that was real, what they did in the bubble is going to get better. Memphis will get better. Yeah. I mean, all of these teams are going to be better. I'm not saying they're going to be better than the Lakers, but the flip side of that is, Andy, the Lakers, they, there is a gap, a legit gap between the Lakers and the rest of the conference right now. It could get filled reasonably quick, um, but with some smart decisions over the summer and you know a, an adjustment here and there and whatever and a healthy LeBron again and an Anthony Davis who might even be a little bit better I don't see why that gap goes away no and especially too because I imagine you know there could be some moves here and there around the margins but if I had to guess this team will come back largely intact if for no other reason than they don't have a ton of flexibility of right but that means they have continuity, and they're also a group that now understands what it really means to win a championship. So even if, say, with LeBron at 36, and I, we don't know when exactly this next season is going to start, but there's a chance that he won't after, get I mean, after, after, after Christmas. Right, but there's a chance that he's not going to get as much typical offseason rest as he otherwise would, much less an offseason. Right. Like, remember last year where they didn't make the playoffs. I could I could picture a scenario where it's dialed back for LeBron a little bit more mm -hmm. just because contextually it would be more necessary without it hurting the team but the without it actually hurting right. these guys. The flip side is and I think you know we're looking at the you know the, the Dodgers starting the NLDS or the NLCS tomorrow look what this sort of like I think at this point in his career if Clayton Kershaw every season for him were 60 games great um you know, like that, that I think, you know, there's, I think there is a chance at least that next season is not 82 games because the NBA, I mean, I haven't followed this super closely and there's so much to consider and so much is dependent on what the world looks like in 
January because the NBA wants fans back in stadiums and they want fans back in arenas and all that. And I don't know, you know I don't know if we're going to be there or not. Um, you know, they may they may not have to play eighty two, and so if you play sixty five, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, you know, it that helps too. And now LeBron, you know, you can kind of guide him through whatever it might be. So that could there could be some of that next year as well because the NBA does the NBA does not want to be doing this again where they're competing with the NFL. And the you know the the major league baseball playoffs, hockey would be back you know in theory where it's supposed to be, but like there's too much going on. They don't yeah. want that. It's not good for ratings. It's not good for anyone. And college football too. It's just it the 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 NBA finals is not a fall thing. It's just a, people have habits and it needs to move back, and they understand that. I I think next year could actually a shorter season probably favors the Lakers, right? Because in theory it favors LeBron, Adam Silver. This from uh. Uh, Mr. Cabrera and you know, NHS a full season starting in January. I, I know. I, I thank you for that that update. I think I, I, I obviously I think that's what they would love. I don't know if that's what they get. I mean, look, there's so I don't much. Know how you play 82 games with the same without cramming a lot of 80 you know stuff in and still finish when you want to finish. Look, there's so much about this that they can't even truly know until we know where we are with the coronavirus. Right. I mean, there, there there's a lot in there that you know. Forget the idea of making sure that everybody gets enough of a season that they can recuperate and avoid injuries. So you know, so it's not unfair to the Lakers and the Heat and you know even teams that got to the Western Conference Finals or Eastern Conference Finals. Just there's a lot of this that's outside their NBA, control. Absolutely. But but I hadn't thought about it that way. If there is a if there is a somewhat shortened season that could because potentially it, help out with the Browns. If you play 82 games and you don't have to stop for how long was that layoff? Like three months, basically? Forget. Like we were just doing late night happy hours the whole time. I forget exactly how long the actual layoff was. If you don't have to stop again, obviously you start a month and a half after you normally would, and the and the season ends. I don't know, in July, I guess that is, like late July in August, and then you kind of recycle it and start, and you just keep shaving that back down until you're ending in June. Um, I, but like a lot of that looks worse, but I agree with you. I think other, you know, you can package Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma into a trade, and that's probably the only impactful chip that you have to to do a lot of stuff and we'll get it we'll get it way deeper into like what they do next year but I agree with you they're going to basically going to be rolling it back but honestly the most important thing about rolling it back is are you bringing back LeBron and Anthony Davis and I guess Alex Caruso well assuming you know, Brian assuming AD resigns we don't know we don't know that's true we don't know that AD is coming back he could pull a Kawhi we have no idea like let, let's not get ahead of ourselves there is no guarantee that Anthony Davis is coming back I feel very confident that Anthony Davis is coming back, just for the record. Well, look, maybe he does a Kawhi. He just won. He did just win. Just won. He, now he can he go. Just, now he can go. Oh, my God. To Chicago. He wins a championship and goes back home. I'm Guys, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't, it's not going to actually happen. <laughs> that, that was We shouldn't have done that. No, uh, no. That's actually – that's actually uh, – no. I, I would – all kidding aside, I would find that jaw-droppingly stunning. Like Kawhi, Kawhi going to the Clippers after winning a championship, I legit thought that Toronto had a chance to keep him. But contextually, it's not the same thing. AD leaving this team to go to the Bulls would be literally, you will have to would pick be, up my no, jaw off the ground. only marginally less crazy than him leaving to join... Like the Marlins, <laughs> it's like I, I thought you were going to say the Marines. No, <laughs> like it would be that crazy. But like you know, you know what? I'm going to go be a member of the Miami Marlins. Like that yeah. would not be. It would be closer. I think that the odds are higher of that happening than they are of him joining the Bulls or Lee. Like it, that, that's where we are. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of like if there's anything we didn't cover in this. Um, really quick, I mean, yeah. we didn't touch on it a lot, but I just thought Frank Vogel tonight made the decision to start Alex Caruso, essentially head of Dwight Howard, and move Anthony Davis to center. And it's yet another move that Frank Vogel has made over the course of these playoffs when it comes to the lineup or the rotation that worked extremely well. And... It also, too, I, I, we've talked about this before. 
But the move that Frank Vogel made in game two, Mm -hmm. when he decided to start Anthony Davis at center, and interestingly enough, playing Alex Caruso to that point, I don't think it even played in that game. It ended up working. And that moment, I think, was so important for this team in terms of establishing this tone where Frank Vogel was obviously going to be very you know, deferential to LeBron and Anthony Davis in ways that coaches should be deferential to their superstars because that's the point of having superstars and that's how you make this stuff work. But that also he was not going to coach from a position of fear. Mm-hmm. And I think between that and the preparedness and the meticulousness that these guys saw from the beginning, I actually asked LeBron about that. I want to say after they closed Denver about just what gravitated him towards Frank Vogel so quickly. And those are among the things that he mentioned. And, you know, he recognized that competing against Frank Vogel. But the the way he coached this team from a, forget the idea of instilling culture, from a tactical standpoint, he was really good. And I mean, and both of us thought that the process of hiring Frank Vogel was a shit show, but there was nothing wrong with him as a hire. That being said, he's a better coach than I realized. He's a really, really good coach. He's excellent. And I, like I said, I mean, we, we did t- a tiny bit, but like all of these things, you sliding guys in and out. Obviously, it makes a difference that when you have LeBron and AD and everyone else is sort of in one way or another, kind of an interchangeable part, and they get that. But they're still professional athletes, and there's still an ego, and you still have to, you have to create that atmosphere where – Guys can move in and out of the lineup in that way. And not only do they not complain about it, and it's look, it's game six of the NBA F and finals. Like some like Dwight's gonna march off the court and create a stink. Like, no, it's not gonna happen. But to know like the defensive cohesion, all of these, like to be able to slide these guys in and out in ways that aren't going to 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 be problematic is a testament to the coaching because. I don't like, yeah, is it easier to win a title when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Absolutely, it is. Like you know, but no team, no coach wins without great talent. Managing that talent in a city like LA, especially when you come in in the way that he came in, where everybody knows you're not the first choice, where you know you have buy-in from LeBron because this season is about LeBron. But if it looks like it's going off the rails, um, you might lose that quickly because LeBron doesn't have time for you to figure it out or whatever, or you know, for things to go south. Like to come in under those circumstances and basically just say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go down. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to do it my way with, you know, yeah, instill my system and my values and my whatever. And I believe it will work. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Just, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I am, I am pleased for him that it, people did stop in these playoffs and go, you know what, that guy. That guy really deserves a lot of credit. And I, I think that's one of the better, again, it's one of the better stories of um, of the playoffs. Uh, last question I, I know I wanted to bring up before we go, just because we've talked about it before. So I was curious to get your opinion on it. Now with the ring, a second ring, I should say, what do you think this does with the question of Rajon Rondo as a Hall of Famer? Still not in. I don't know. I mean, he's marginal. I, I think, you know, let me, I think get one more of these sort of playoff Rondo mythical sort of performances, then I think you can have, you can have a different discussion. But I think it's not quite there yet. I think if it was a coin flip before, it's weighted, it's more of a weighted coin flip in his favor. Was it a coin flip though? I think? think it was around 40-ish percent. I could be let me let me go look at basketball, basketball reference, reference right now. Yeah, go look up a basketball reference and see. Um I don't look, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's I think it's close. They've but, got him right now as 40.7, and that's obviously before this, this championship. The other way, and that's before this. I mean, that's the thing, it's like the mythology of this. Like the lake of like this was I you know what I didn't mention this when we were talking about the you know, talking about the shit that isn't preordained. Like anybody who's any Laker fan who says they knew Rajon Rondo was going to morph into this guy with the playoff, you are a liar. Oh, you know you how we know you're a liar? Because we heard from you all. We, we heard from all of you. All of you. Every and single I'm one not, of you. I, I, I hope, you know, you hope for it, but I didn't. The Lakers essentially traded for a guy who went from, who was, a, he was 
one of the most destructive players on any team last year. Like there were very few people you could put on an NBA floor that had a worse effect, a more negative effect on his team than Rondo last season. This season, Rondo, when he played in the regular season, he wasn't technically a minus last year. He was a minus 8.6 in his net rating, Andy. That is really hard to do. Um, this year, he wasn't a minus, but he had the lowest, pretty much by far, the lowest net rating of any player that had any kind of significant role in the rotation. So on a team as dominant as the Lakers, on a team where you know the sort of collective net rating was so good, for Rondo to be at the bottom was meaningful. And, you know, he played that game one where you're like, oh, crap. Like, I hope, I mean, like people, Lakers fans were plotting to sneak into the bubble to remove him. Like, it was going to be like a seal operation. They were going to go in there and snatch him out or like, you know, drag him across the quarantine line or whatever it was going to be. And then he comes back in game two, you know, of, of, the, of the Houston series. You're like, oh, okay. And then game three, you're like, whoa, you know. And the, the Lakers acquired a different player. At, you know when he came back, like they they got a new guy. It was like they made a trade for a really really good player, um, and so that wasn't preordained. But another one of these playoff runs, maybe that that could be the thing. Well, I will say this though, he did. I, I'm not going to pretend that it felt preordained to me either. I mean, I I thought in it's interesting. I thought that in some ways Rondo's absence could be a, a blessing in disguise when he got hurt at the beginning of the bubble, just because we've seen over this year that you know they were demonstratively worse on both sides of the ball when he played but then you'll remember that as the restart was going and the lakers were really struggling especially offensively i actually thought they were missing rondo oh for sure and, absolutely and, absolutely and the, what you saw was as much as the offense suffered this year when lebron went off the court and Rondo was running it, and you know LeBron typically not there. That's the difference between LeBron and Rondo. LeBron being, you know, the best playmaker in the NBA this uh, this season. But the difference between LeBron and everybody else made you recognize: all right, Rondo may not be perfect, but they miss what he's doing, and then he just cranked it up. I mean, he I just. That, but the difference is they missed what he's doing. They, they always missed what he's doing, in theory. But they didn't miss it in practice. And right. now, like, you could see why he was so important and why, you know, it wasn't just playoff Rondo cliche. It was like playoff Rondo actually doing the things that you needed to be a winning product. And when he didn't play well, he didn't play well. And, you know, uh, you know, he's sort of all over the place, I thought, in game five. But, you know, you know, a couple of the games where he didn't play well, you noticed. Like, the team lost something significant when he didn't play well. Um so yeah, Andy. Awesome. We, I don't know if you have anything left in your glass. No, I don't. I do not. But um, I'm happy, man. I'm really, really happy. I, I mean, know you I, see, like people. I mean, I think people people who follow us by now know. Like I, I, I've grown to appreciate the organization. I know people in it. Like I, I'm a fan of the city. I like the team. I like the players. Whatever. Andy is a like a real legit. Like I was a he was a Laker fan before we did this for a living kind of thing. Oh, way so before. This is like a big deal. Yeah. Oh God. I'm super excited. I mean, it's just it's awesome. It's it's fun that I've not felt uh, for a long time as a Laker fan, or I mean, it long time by Laker years, but right. You know, by normal people, I normal fan base standards, it's you know, go, Minnesota Timberwolves. Cool. Yeah, by normal Play fan base standards, it's yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's fun. And like I said, particularly in a year like this and knowing what it meant to this organization, again, to do it this particular year, I'm stoked, man. It's fun. I've sent out some texts to some friends of mine. Like, it's fun. It's a legitimately great story, period. And it's a particularly great story for the Lakers. And I like, think about this, Andy. The Lakers could win one. The Dodgers could win one. Um, and who knows? Maybe LAFC kind of turns their season around and they, they can Rams have been good. Rams, the Rams look really good. Like just like you said, what, they would, what would it mean for like 2020 to be this completely weird year where everything goes wrong except all the LA teams win? 
you know it's what? Not, it's not out of the question. I mean, they're still, still obviously pretty early for the Rams, but you know, the, the Dodgers have a great opportunity in front of them. They look fantastic. Oh, yeah. And so, like, how crazy would that be? You know what? It would actually, given 2020 has obviously been a year of a lot of tragedy, a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of truly historically awful things happening. But it's also been weird. I mean, it's been epically weird, and it would be, you know, a continuation of that epic weirdness if, as an Angelino, you remember 2020 as one of the worst years in American and global history, but also the year year in sports, LA sports history. Yeah, the year where your team just racked up all the rings. Oh my God. Um, all right. Well, it's something to look forward to. Uh, we will be back with more podcasts. We got some news coming up on the podcast, which we will uh, reveal at the moment. It is appropriate, but it's good news. We we think and good news. We hope. Um, Late night happy hour this week. You've been looking at the crawl go by, but um, you know, Zach Schwartz from the Dunk Bay podcast, uh, the third guy. We have not had the third guy on, and now he I know is it's cool. Our Sam Esfendiari talk some basketball and some NFL with him. Great um, voice from up north in California. Uh, Lindsay Theory is going to join us later in the week, and Friday, Gustavo Ariano. Uh, we're going to eat some tortillas and talk about voting. It's going to be a really fun show. Uh, reminder, delicious pizza, 20% off. Use the password Cam Brothers. Two locations, West Adams and in Hollywood. Uh, go celebrate with Michael Ross. The man wants to see you, Lakers yes. fan. Um, and so we'll be back tomorrow night, Laker, uh, the late night happy hour with uh, Zach Schwartz from the Dunk Bay podcast as our guest. Uh, hope to see you guys this week. Thanks so much for supporting that show and for this one as well. And, congr- and congratulations, congratulations to all y'all. That's congratulations right. Congratulations to all of you. Very fun night for LA. Uh, so we're, we're happy for you. Happy for the team. See everybody uh, tomorrow.